Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 147 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is a fun, fun week here because we just toppled the uh, Virginia Cavaliers. Before we get to that, we want to thank, as always, our A number one sponsor. You know these guys. We love them so much. The guys from Bird Campbell. If you have legal needs in the states of Texas or Florida, please reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. A couple good dookies doing good deeds by helping out the podcast. And before we get to talking about the Virginia game, talking about Boston College, and previewing what's coming up for the Devils, I need to bring in my partners in crime in Durham, North Carolina. Sam Klein, how you doing, Sam? I'm doing great. We had admitted students weekend here at Fuqua over the weekend, so I was playing host. I and many of my classmates were playing host to a bunch of twenty-somethings who recently got into business school here and are and were. Uh, coming in for the weekend to decide if this is absolutely where they wanted to go. And uh, I, I think it was an overwhelming success, if I do say so myself. Super successful geniuses hosting other super successful geniuses. Or Not something that. like that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, I also, I yeah. I was going to say, I realized I never said my name. I'm Jason. I'm Jason oh, Evans. Are you? But like, I mean, like, like people don't know this. I don't know. Is that your Did government you name, Jason? I'm sorry? <laughs> is that your government name or is that like, is that like a middle name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that is Donald Wine, the other the other member of the team. Donald, you in you in DC today? I am in DC, uh, and guys, I just want to let's just get into the Virginia game because I'm going to talk about why that was the best performance of the season so far. So uh, yes, let us start uh, start at the end of the week with the uh, Duke Blue Devils playing the Virginia Cavaliers. Duke comes a one uh, comes away with a 81 to 71 victory. All season long, it had been said, if Duke hits their threes, they can beat anybody. And they proved it. <laughs> the Devils go uh, 13 for 21 on three-pointers, almost 62% from long range. Virginia is a great, great team, but probably the best defensive team in the country. And they had no answer for Duke because Duke was hitting their outside shots. Donald, you wanted to talk about it first? Go for it, man. What you got on this game, other than the fact that Duke was raining threes left and right. Well, I mean, let's start with that. You have to start with that. You know, 13 for 21, as you said, 62% from three. This is a team that, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago, we were like two two for 15 against Virginia. Um, you know, we started out with the three ball early. It was the reason why we had a hot start. Virginia never really felt like they were in the game because anytime they would make a run or make a, try to mount a comeback, we would hit a three and the momentum was just snuffed immediately. Uh, and, and the guys, it was coming from everywhere. Cam Reddish was hitting threes. RJ Barrett was hitting threes. Zion hit one and everyone in the gym seemed like they're like, well, if he's going to hit threes, this is going to be a long night. Uh, and this, you know, this is our best victory of the season so far. We went to Charlottesville, a tough place to play. And we beat the number three team in the country by 10 comfortable points. It wasn't like we pulled away at the end. We were comfortably in the second half up by 10, 12 points for most of the second half. That's an amazing accomplishment. I want to talk about a couple things, though. After the game, R.J. Barrett, I don't know if you guys uh, heard him in the post-game uh, uh, press conference. Not the press conference, but the interview that he had with Kari Oh, Champion. is this is this the wearing black comment? Yes. Uh, oh, and so tell they us, asked, please. You it's know, so great. It's so great because I, I know people in the Duke uh, DBR forums, we talk a lot about the fact that a lot of people on the forums don't like when we wear the black jerseys. Uh, they prefer we wear the blue jerseys. But – this quote should end all of that debate. Uh, R.J. Barrett said, we love road games. 
this is why we wear black because it's their funeral. He he did that's that's just cold. That's, that's just cold. Cold. that's just it ends everything. If they wear black the rest of the season, except for the UNC game, because we should wear blue for that game. If they wear black the rest of the season and we win a national championship, I don't want to hear no more talk about how black is a curse, about how these jerseys are are the are the ugliest jerseys that we have. They look smooth because when we beat the number three team in the country, they look smooth doing it. So we talk about that. He had a good game. Zion Williamson, duh. He always has a good game, but this was no exception. Cam Reddish, Jesus, he had a terrific shooting night. He was, you know, five for eight. Awesome on defense. He had three steals. Trey Jones did just about everything except register a block shot. And I'm pretty sure if you said, hey, Trey, go block a shot, he would probably do it uh, last night. But finally, I, I have to mention this. We're on the we're on the theme of blocks. We're going to talk about it. Zion's block in the second half, oh which was God. absolutely incredible. I want to mention a couple quotes about that block. After in the press game, uh, I'm sorry, in the locker room, uh, Lauren Brownlow on Twitter got this amazing quote from Zion. He at, she asked him what uh, how he did the block, and he said, "Coach said no threes, so I tried to get out there and make him drive, but he shot it." So I blocked it. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, Zion. You go do your thing. And that's then Tony great, Bennett. That, that, that's just a great, simple explanation of yeah. what the basketball player I was told to what do. to do, and, and, and I was you, told no three. So I did that. He, he had to do that. What I love about Zion is so often his, his quotes, his explanations are so simple like that. There's not, there's not a lot of bravado to it. There's not a lot of. Uh, there's not a lot of thought, uh, not that he's not thinking, but there's not a lot of thought that goes into this stuff. It's just he's playing the game on such a different level than everyone else that he can play it in a simple kind of way. It's it's amazing. It's Look, amazing. He, he's he's very good at throwing swag around without having to do so. Like, obviously, his name is, a, is has a swagger to it in, in itself. But even just in that quote where he says, hey, he shot it, so I blocked it. Really, what he's saying is, dude tried it. And, and I wasn't going to let him try it. So like, it, it ended up in the third row. But Tony Bennett also after the game said, there's only two guys in America who could block that shot like that. And both of them were in the gym. And he's, of LeBron. course, talking about Zion and LeBron James, who was at the game last night. Well, and did, you, did you hear LeBron or did you hear Zion after the game was asked about LeBron being there? And he said, LeBron was here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Rajon Rondo was there too, sitting right next to him. Ooh, and everyone's like, Rondo. LeBron James is here. Rajon Rondo was like, he could have been the mailman. It did not matter uh, because Z- uh, LeBron was in the building watching RJ and Zion go. Uh, but I'm going to let you guys. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Hey, hey uh, on the LeBron thing, uh-huh. I, I want to point something out, kind of, you know, a little tiny bit significant here. I mean, LeBron and and Rajon Rondo, it's not like they had a game against the Wizards. It's not like they yeah, were in they Washington. They were in Philly today. They were in Philly today. And and by the way, they flew in a day early, not on the team plane. They flew in a day early um, and they PJ'd, went down. They, they, they PJ'd into Charlottesville, as they, they say. I'm, what do you mean they PJ'd? Oh, private jet. Yes. Yeah, correct. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't like... It wasn't like they were hanging out in Washington. They went, what, what's going on tonight? What should we do? Do They specifically went out of their way, very specifically, to come watch Duke in Virginia. I think to come watch Zion Williamson. I mean, there's little question. And I've never been more disappointed that we didn't get a reaction camera. How was there not a camera rolling on LeBron's face when Zion blocked that shot? Because I right wanted in front to, of him. He did. I, I, 
I want to see LeBron's reaction. I want to see LeBron be like, whoa. Because, you know, it probably – LeBron doesn't see very much that impresses him, I would think. That probably was – that was super impressive. That yeah. was – that thing was awesome. I mean, we've seen so many awesome Zion plays this year and, you know, the, the dunks and the blocks and the breakaways and everything. That was on another level. Yeah, he jumped from, like, 12 feet away from the shot and was probably 12 feet above the rim or 12 feet in the air and blocked a shot from beyond the three-point line, seven rows into deep into the section, and then on top of that, stuck the landing, as my friend Joe Forrest said. He stuck the the landing. It did not go into the crowd. Like, I mean, how many times you've seen people just do half of that and go sprawling into the, you know, third row? Well, so wait, a friend of mine, a Virginia friend of mine, who I play Mm -hmm. basketball with on Sundays, pointed out, he said, you know, the fact that LeBron didn't land, I'm sorry, LeBron, I just called Zion LeBron. I, I don't thing. think that's an accident. But he said the fact that Zion didn't land in the stands in the crowd, he goes, that's because he jumped so high. Like if you think about, do a little geometry here. Most guys, when they're jumping, you know, they're jumping high, but they're also jumping out a lot. He said Zion went so high that he didn't land that far from where DeAndre Hunter was. And, right. and my friend was like, that was the most, to me, that was the thing that was shocking about it, that he was able to block that shot and it didn't take him into the stands. Like, if you well, think and, about and it, he, yeah, he got second jump like midair. Yeah. If you yeah. think about it, if he, if, if he was somehow able to block that shot, uh, not out of bounds and block it into the, you know, keep it in, in the, you know, court of play and have like a transition, he'd be able to run the break. Like, that's how like nimble that that move was. But really, guys, to sum it up, this was our best performance. I'm so happy for our guys you know, so far this season. And if you're a hater or a doubter out there who has the notion to say something negative about there this aren't team, any. No. Look, look, I, I'm just saying this, and, and I'm sure you guys will agree with me. This Duke team, there's this is a difference between this Duke team and past Duke teams that we have seen. This Duke team isn't just reaching for greatness. They're trying to snatch it, and they're just good enough to do it. Hey, hey Sam, I'm going to go to you now. Um, that was supposed to be Donald's turn, but we all kind of jumped in because the the block shot is just like, you know, we have to all talk it's, about it. It's but, understood. I'll, let, I, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Thank you. Thank you. But Sam, uh, can, I, can I be so bold as to ask you, talk a little bit about the, the defensive effort in this game. Um, Virginia is not the Virginia team of past years, as we know. This is a very, very good defensive team. Um, I'm sorry, very good offensive team. Um, unlike past years when they've really been one dimensional, they're just, they just play defense. What, what did you think of Duke's D in this game? Very impressive. I would say, um, in, in two games now against Virginia, uh, Duke has given up 70 points both times to the Cavaliers, but, but that's only as a result of forcing Virginia to play at Duke speed. Um, we, we talked multiple times on the show about, how dictating tempo is the most important thing for the Duke-UVA matchup. Duke obviously being one of the fastest teams in the country and UVA being always the slowest team in the country. So the fact that the game ended in, you know, the like with a score, like a total score over 150 tells you that Duke was playing the way they wanted to play and not the way Virginia wanted to play. Duke was beating Virginia up on on the um, points in transition. Uh, Virginia didn't get a single point in transition. Duke had a whole bunch of them. And I, I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about how ferocious the defense was. And that's starting, seven, of course. 17 to zero. Fast 17 break point, to zero. 17 to zero. See, that's, Jason, that's a that's big the, deal. <laughs> that's the value you bring. 
is, Thank you. is having the stats that I don't have in front of me. So, uh, and of course, it started at the top with Trey Jones. Duke fans will remember, of course, that Trey didn't play in the first game that that Duke and UVA played earlier this season of just a few weeks ago in in Durham. Trey wasn't in that game, and uh, this time he was out there to frustrate. Um, and and he wasn't even he wasn't even really matched up on Kyle Guy as much as he was on Ty Jerome, who was coming a little off a little bit of an injury. Um, UVA also had uh, a bit of a letdown during the game in that uh, Namadou Diakite uh, Diakite was was uh, it looked like maybe concussed or some hit his head on a on one of his teammates and and had to be removed from the game. But I think it was Hunter, wasn't it? Was it was on Hunter? Yeah, yeah I think and, they clashed heads like uh, trying to you know. It seemed like they were trying to set a screen for one another and right. just clashed heads. And, which is really unfortunate. And you hope that Diakite is, is going to be back on the court pretty soon because it, it's it's fun when UVA is good, of course. But starting at the top with Trey Jones and and just what a hound he was on the ball at, at the top of the key. Um, Cam Reddish having a, as you guys said, a great night offensively um, with all those catch-and-shoot threes. But, but his defense was also astoundingly good. Uh, you can tell that he's he was feeding off that off the good effort at one end of the court and letting it give him confidence at the other end. And then all the way on down, the, the one guy that I really wanted to bring up who we've been talking about more and more the last few weeks, but I think deserves recognition here again this week is Marquise Bolden um, playing very strong in the middle, allowing, uh, allowing other defenders on the team to be more aggressive and to go for steals because they know that, that Bolden's going to be there to, to bottle up guys who are in the lane. And a couple times he got pulled out to the perimeter um, on on switches, and you know, I, I don't think Duke fans are especially thrilled about seeing Marquise Bolden guarding on ball twenty five feet from the basket. But with the exception of of the one three that Kyle Guy made in his eye, that was that was just super nasty. Uh, Marquise Bolden held his own uh, out there and held his own all over the court. And I thought his defensive effort, along with Trey Jones, was really the reason that the Duke was able to keep Virginia at arm's length. Basically, the entire game, UVA never got within five once Duke opened up the the 8-0 lead at the beginning of the game. So um, it, it never felt like, at least to me, I, you guys maybe felt differently. It never felt like to me that the Duke was giving up this game because they never let Virginia go on the run that felt backbreaking. They never let Virginia even come back and, and come within a possession of, of taking the lead. So um, holding them at arm's length is really impressive, just given given the way that Virginia is able to play. Uh, Duke turned them over a bunch of times. Uh, I'm I'm very excited about the way the defense played, although I still think the offense and, and the explosion of three pointers was the uh, was the real star of the show here for Duke. Uh, no, there's no question about that. Um, I, I do want to. I'm so glad you talked about Bolden. Um, uh, Jay Billis talked about this on the on the um, on the broadcast. The fact that. Duke is now able to switch all screens. Um, it doesn't matter who's guarding. Duke switches everything on defense because they're comfortable with Bolden guarding anyone, and obviously the rest of the guys are comfortable guarding anybody. I, I think that's a that's a really, really big deal for this team. Um, it's a progression on defense. That's the kind of defense that can really take you to the next level, um, and, and it's so, so, so important. It's the kind of thing that the, that the Golden State Warriors are able to do when they go small – um, with Draymond Green at the five, and uh, and to an extent, you know, even with a big guy like Bolden on the floor who's going to protect the rim for you, the fact that you're able to do that defensively is a really, really, really big deal. Uh, so I just want to hit on a couple other um, little things. Um, 
in terms of the three-point shooting, uh, I think it's very interesting. Did you all see John Shire's post-game comment? Coach Shire said that one of the things people need to understand is that in practice, this is a really good three-point shooting team. And, and he said that their struggles from long range have been inexplicable. Like the coaches, you know, they, they don't have an answer for it. They didn't understand how Duke was, you know, in so many of these recent games hitting less than 20% from three-point range because what Shire sees, what the coaches see in practice is a team that is very, very good at shooting threes. And so maybe this UVA game, I mean, look, I'm not saying we're going to hit 62% of our threes ever again, perhaps, but maybe we really are a team that will hit, you know, 30 to 35% on the season. Because if we are, you know, you can probably start at least beginning to etch the D on the national title trophy, because that's, that's how good this team is if we're hitting long range shots, because you can't stop us inside. Jason. And I want to... Yeah. I think yeah, just to, just to quickly interject, I, I think that uh, I agree. I mean, I think I believe John Shire when he says that because it's not like when we're missing threes, we're 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 missing terribly. I mean, we've had some shots that go like three quarters of the way down, come out, you know, good open shots that we just miss, uh, and maybe it's just like a mental block that that we've you're starting to overcome over the last couple of games. But I feel like this team they shoot very well. They just don't go in. And and I think that's really the, the key. And, and, and for our guys, you have a bunch of shooters who the shooter's mentality is if you if you're missing and you're in a cold streak, you keep shooting until you kind of shoot your way out of it. The good shooters will take, you know, quicker to get out of that. But for us, sometimes, you know, we've had games where it just seems like we can't hit anything. And, and I don't think it's because of bad mechanics or anything like that. I do feel like if if our guys are on one night, we get nights like this. Well, and and I, it's not like it's not like Duke even has to shoot this well for the result to be great, right? Right. Duke shoots sixty percent from three, and they win by ten points in Charlottesville, which is like winning by thirty points anywhere else. Um, Duke doesn't even have to play this well to beat anybody. Virginia coming into the game had about a one and a half point um, uh, advantage over Duke in the Ken Palm efficiency margin. Duke now has a one and a half point lead over Virginia in that same metric. Um, that's how that's how well Duke played the other night. You know, a, a ten point victory, perhaps if you if you're sort of stripping out the opponents and the details of the game, looks good, not great, especially for a team that that mostly is beating their opponents by twenty. Beating UVA by ten is not like beating Boston College by twenty five in Charlottesville. In Charlottesville, mm-hmm. yeah. That's I, I, that's going to be the that's going to be the toughest place that Duke has to play this season. With apologies to you know Blacksburg and Chapel Hill and 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 Louisville, all these tough places. Um, UVA has got the best team, and and Duke beat them by ten. And like I said, held them at arm's length the whole way, the, the whole forty minutes. Well, and and I'll say this: um, having no idea what the rest of the season is going to bring, I think this is almost certainly going to be the most impressive victory by any team in the country this season. To to play a team as good as Virginia in their house and beat them as convincingly as we did. I, I, I can't think of any other, I mean, I guess, Hey, maybe someone will come into Cameron and spank Duke by 10 or 15 points. But, but other than something unlikely, like, yeah, unlikely. Pretty, pretty I'm not even going to think about it. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Get that yeah, out it's not going to happen. Other than that. I mean, there's, there's no more impressive win that, that anyone's going to have. I, I, I think I'll make that prediction right now. Um, hey, I, I want to get back to a couple um, offensive things very quickly. 
and, and I want to start by praising the Virginia defense. I thought Virginia played really, really good defense. I mean, you know, to some extent you can say they got unlucky that Duke was shooting that well from three. But but on the other hand, I think what happened in this game, and I, and I really want to talk about it for a second, Tony Bennett made a conscious decision. He he's clearly seen a lot of Duke this year. And um and and you know, we played just a couple of weeks ago. And I think he said, I am not going to let Zion Williamson get to the rim. In fact, I'm not going to let Zion do much of anything. The moment Zion touched the ball, Virginia was double teaming him and forcing him to make passes. Uh, and you know, all season long we have marveled at various aspects of Zion Williamson's game. You know, he's not, uh, it's cliche at this point to say he's more than a dunker. He's more than a dunker. He's so great at driving the ball to the basket. He has great instincts on defense. He blocks shots. Uh, he, he's, he's made some amazing passes in transition. Well, today, or sorry, yesterday, this weekend, we saw that Zion has something else he does really, really phenomenally well, which is, absorb a double team, make the smart pass. Basketball doesn't have the hockey assist. You guys know what the hockey assist is. That's where the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the goal. Basketball doesn't have that, but if they did, Zion Williamson would have had a huge number of hockey assists in this game because his ability out of these double teams to make the pass that then led to the pass that led to the basket was truly impressive. Duke had an assist on 70% of our shots in this game, 70% of our made baskets, there was an assist. That is, that's just crazy. That's, that's really such- good. That That's really good. And it's, and it's actually out of really out of character in particular for this Duke team. That is um, sort of ball hog forward, if you will, not to, yeah. not to denigrate Zion Williamson and, and RJ Barrett, but they are not scorers that are thriving off the, the catch and shoot. Or the you know the, the give and go. It, it's a lot of them individually creating. And there have been a few games this year where Duke has run a little bit more of a motion offense tonight or last night rather against UVA. Um, like you said, Jason, Zion was recognizing that the pressure was on him and he was able to pass effectively out of it. He also got frustrated a few times and turned the ball over uh, uncharacteristically. Yeah. But overall, you know, Duke can live with a few Zion turnovers if if some of those possessions are leading to good, you know, in rhythm shots by, by Reddish and Barrett from beyond the three point arc. So, so I got a a great question for you guys. Uh, So in this game, Zion Williamson scored 18 points. I want to ask you all, do you guys know how many baskets he had in the paint in our half court offense? Like now I'm not talking about fast breaks. You know, I'm not talking about, he hit a three pointer. I'm saying, Baskets in the paint, which is where, I mean, look, most games, Zion's getting, what, six, eight, ten buckets in the paint? I mean, he only, bad- had, he only had eight. He only had, he took eight shots on the night, or made eight mm-hmm. shots on the night, right? Took eight shots? Oh, he only eight took eight. Six for eight. He was took eight, eight shots. Uh, so one basket in the paint? Yeah, it was that dunk. He had two. We he had, had oh, two. yeah, he had two dunks. Well, no, no, well, no, he had a... He had a driving layup at the very end of the first half that he ended up getting fouled on where he came across the lane. It was one of the few times they didn't double-team him. He started with the ball a little bit further out, so they didn't double-team him. He came across the lane, he got bumped, and he finished. And so he had that one driving layup. And then 
Uh, that was with a minute 40 left in the first half. With a minute 40 left in the second half, he had a, a dunk off of Cam Reddish. Cam drew the defense, dropped a dime to him, and, and Zion got a dunk. Other than that, it was all breakaway dunks and layups. He had one rebound basket and his three-pointer and a few free throws. So, uh, again, praise to Virginia for saying we're not going to let the best player in the country beat us doing what he does best. But praise to Duke because Virginia stopped us from that and we found other things to do to be successful at. And, and I mean, yeah, Zion only had 18 points in this game and he had five turnovers. But again, I just thought his ability to move the ball around was, was really, really impressive. And then the other thing I wanted to mention very, very quickly um, was our steals. Uh, Virginia is a team that um, that holds on to the ball really, really well. They are one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country because they don't make turnovers. Duke had 12 steals. Do you know that Virginia, we had a steal on almost 20% of Virginia's possessions. One out of every five times Virginia had the ball, it ended up, the, the possession ended up in the hands of someone on Duke running the other direction with an open court steal. Cam had three. Zion had three. Every single one of our starters had a steal. Javin Delorier had a couple of them. Trey Jones had two. That's that's huge. That is a really big deal. When you're able to get 12 steals against a team like Virginia, I, that's that's a that's probably why we you know that led to those fast break points, 17 to zero, and that's probably why we won that and hitting 62 percent of our free three three pointers. <laughs> Guys, y'all got anything else on this, or should we move on? No, I think we've. Uh, I, I think the results from Virginia speak for themselves, and hopefully, this looks really good for Duke heading into the into tournament selection because UVA, of course, it would be competing with Duke for all the best uh, tournament destinations. Yes, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Hey, folks! The DBR podcast has a brand new sponsor that we want to tell you about. This edition of the podcast is brought to you by GTHCGTH.com. Now, if you are a Duke fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about there. GTHCGTH stands for Go to Hell, Carolina, Go to Hell. And that website, GTHCGTH.com, is the go-to website for hats, T-shirts, rally towels, foam fingers, all kinds of other great gear that shows off your true feelings about those damn cheaters 12 miles down the road at Carolina. We should probably add that GTHCGTH.com, I can't believe I'm saying that. (laughs) We should probably add that the entire thing is the brainchild of one of the most beloved Dukies of all time, Kenny Denard, a four-year starter. He played on a record 14 games against those hell-bound Tar Heels. And he and his partner, Holt Gardner, from the class of 1991, add new items every week to their website. We urge you, please go visit gthcgth.com and check out some fabulous gear that shows folks exactly how you feel about Carolina. So in addition to that Virginia game, Duke also played a little bit earlier in the week against the Boston College Eagles, one of the worst teams in the ACC. Um, And, uh, you know, it was very much like a lot of games for Duke this year. I think that this team 
I don't want to say that they take other teams lightly. I don't want to say that they sleepwalk through the first half of games, but sometimes they take other teams lightly and sleepwalk through the first half of games. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, against BC, we were trailing 30 to 28 at the half. And um, I guess probably somewhere there were people who were worried. Oh, no, what's going to happen? But for those of us who've watched Duke play a lot this year, we know that Duke is an insanely good second-half team. We outscored BC by 27 points in the second half <laughs> and ended up winning 80-55. to 55. Sam, I'll start with you. What did you take away from this game um, against Boston College where, where the Blue Devils won with relative ease? It was kind of a Cam Reddish coming out show, wasn't it? A little bit. I would say that the most important thing that happened in this game is that I discovered where the bar is at halftime in Cameron, the one that is available to uh, not just the high rollers, but but all of the uh, all of the the plebs in the in the lower level. Did you guys know that there's a bar in the in the Hall of Fame area? I did. And, I didn't know it was in the Hall of Fame area. Yeah. Um, found that out at halftime. That's great. Uh, got to have a beer and then returned to the student section like a real, I guess, adult. Is that an adult thing to do? Anyway, um, Duke, as you said, Jason, kind of sleepwalking through the first half. Um, and, and at half, halftime, I said, you know, before the game, I thought Duke was going to win this game by 30. And I guess now they'll win the game by 20. And they won it by 25. So, um, yeah, a really nice night for for Cam Reddish. Just generally, um, the, the team looked like they weren't having to exert too much effort um, in beating a Boston college team that, as you said, Jason is, is still one of the worst in the league is, is very unlikely to be making uh, the NCAA tournament. If, if not even the NIT. So um, it was a nice, it was a nice tune up game um, prior to getting on this, this tough run that started with Virginia and then continues ahead. I know we're going to preview the games that are upcoming this week, but um, yeah, good to see, good to see Duke not have to, not have to really go the full 40 against BC. Um, and, uh, and it was also lightly attended from the, uh, from the grad student perspective. So I wasn't scrunched in as, as tightly as I normally am. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm giving a full update on the, uh, grad student usher situation this week, but, but needless to say, I had a, a better time at this game, uh, physically than I have in previous weeks. Donald, what you got on this contest? Uh, Sam mentioned it. Cam Reddish, welcome. Like that was that was a great, great game that he had. I thought uh, shooting wise. I think was it Sam. I think it was you that told me. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That this was the first game of first the year time. that. Huh? Yeah. First time, yeah, yeah. RJ first or time, Zion. First time that no, yeah, a guy that is not Zion or RJ led the team in scoring, which I think is good because you know what? When we get to the tournament, we're going to have games. Well, we're going to face teams that are going to try and key in on those two guys. It's going to be dependent on Cam Reddish uh, uh, for one guy, you know, a Trey Jones, to help lead the offense when those guys are being keyed in on. And I think Cam did a great job of doing that uh, against Boston College. Uh, he hit four threes, eight for 16. He, he was, again, really good on defense, I thought, uh, and especially in the second half when we kind of woke up and, and you know, really put the pedal to the metal. And – Yo, I, I think that with Cam getting more comfortable with being a scorer and getting more comfortable with making big shots, that's only going to make us better uh, as we go along, especially as we enter this really, really difficult stretch that we, we are about to enter uh, on the ACC schedule. So good job, Cam Reddish. Good job the rest of the team in the second half especially. But uh, I really like seeing a third guy coming in in doing work on the offensive end. And hopefully Cam Reddish can keep doing that. 
so I love the fact Duke only had seven turnovers in this game. That's just a crazy small number. And Duke out-rebounded Boston College 43-32. to 32. When you only commit seven turnovers and you out-rebound the other team by 11, you're going to win by 25 points. <laughs> That's It's just real simple. Um, and, and then can, can we for a second, I mean, can Zion, is it ever possible for him not to be unbelievable? So his stat line, I, you'll never see a stat line like this. 16 points, 17 rebounds, four steals, three blocks, and three assists. I mean, <laughs> he just, he fills it up is that in good? every way possible. That's like, that's a... I mean, I, I'm I'm at a loss for words. There are no words that can describe this guy. And yeah, 16 points, 17 rebounds, four steals, three blocks. I mean, come on. He's not human, right? This is what would happen if an alien played basketball, right? A very, very big alien. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, this edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is also brought to you by our good friends at Bird Campbell. Um, uh, the the how about I figure out how, what I want to say there? Hey, this edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is also brought to you by the by the fine gentlemen at Bird Campbell Law Firm, um, uh, Tucker Bird and Jamie Campbell, uh, a pair of Duke roommates. Um, were they roommates? Fuck, I'm like I'm fucking up so badly here. Leave it in. this edition of the dbr podcast is also brought to you by the fine gentlemen at bird campbell law firm uh jamie uh jamie bird and no jamie good god (laughs) you gotta you gotta you gotta leave all of it in (laughs) oh i'm tired we love you bird campbell This edition of the DBR podcast is also brought to you by the fine gentlemen at Bird Campbell, Tucker Bird and Jamie Campbell, a pair of former Duke friends. Actually, they're still friends and they're still Dukies. Folks, you don't understand. I've messed this up like five times. I can't say the Bird Campbell promo. I've said it probably a million times. Please reach out to them at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com, birdcampbell.com. They are in Florida and Texas. They are lawyers. They are good guys. And I, I am done trying to record the sponsorship. This is like <laughs> this is like the ninth time I've done it. And Jamie Tucker, thank you so much for sponsoring the DBR podcast. Someday I'll send you all the versions that I tried to record this that I edited out. It was just it was it was horrible. It was terrible. So Bird Campbell, thank you. Gentlemen, it's a huge, huge week for Duke coming up. We 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 mentioned this before. Um, the Blue Devils ha- are, are are in the middle of, or at the very beginning of, starting with Virginia, a six-game stretch that everyone says is as tough a stretch as you'll find in all of college basketball. And and it continues this week with games at Louisville and then NC State. Um, the Louisville game is the really, really big one. Uh, Donald, I know you've been looking at the Louisville Cardinal. They are one of the best teams in the ACC, one of the best teams in the country. Um, tell me what we should be on the lookout for in this game, one of the toughest games left on the Duke schedule. Yeah, and you you said it. They The thing about them is 
they have changed their game so much uh, from the games that I've seen. They never play the same game twice. And I think that versatility that they bring to the table is what makes them the most dangerous. They're, they're 15th in adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. They're 28th in adjusted defensive uh, efficiency, but their tempo is way down, 249th. So they're going to try and slow the game down. They don't want us to run, which is obvious. Um, but what they are really good at is they play a lot of guys. They play hard. They play tenacious. And they get to the line. And when they get to the line, they make their free throws. They're 12th in the nation in free throw shooting. So we got to, you know, really be smart uh, when we have the basketball and, and not give them ball. But also in defense, we have to make sure that we are not sending into the line because that's going to be easy points for them. They're going to relish the chance to really stay in the game via the free throw line. But guys like Jordan Wara um, are going to be the people that they're going to look to to carry the offense. Dwayne Sutton as well, Christian Cunningham. Those are the three guys that average over 10 points a game. But their scoring is spread out. The players that they put on the floor are spread out. And they really have a lot of guys that are going to uh, be thrown at our offense, uh, especially um, with the fact that, you know, usually around this time of year, we start to shorten our bench. We haven't quite seen it go down to like six or seven like we have seen in years past. But they're going to be throwing a lot of guys at our team to try and tire them out and, and really, really uh, make it so that they are there at the end. Now, what are we going to need to do? Clean up on the glass. They have a couple guys that can that can rebound very well, you know. But we are a better rebounding team than they are. We have to go out and show it. Even though they're very long, if we get in front of them, box out, we can take the ball and go on the break. Also, again, keep them from the line. But for us, our three point shooting, you know, needs to maintain. Really, on offense, is about being smart with the basketball. If we can take and control of our opportunities, they are going to have a very frustrating day. And that is it really it's that defense um, and really forcing teams to take bad shots. That's why they've been so successful this year. If we can be smart, we'll be okay. You know, one of the things I'm going to look for against um, Louisville is uh, this is one of the few teams that athletically and from a size standpoint um, actually, you know, matches up okay with Duke. Um, Jordan Nuora is, is every bit, the size of, of RJ Barrett. Usually RJ has a huge, huge advantage over the guy who's guarding him. And, and, uh, you know, Nora, I think, um, I think likely is likely to draw the, the assignment against RJ a lot of the time. And, um, and I think he has every bit a chance to, to, to match up pretty favorably with him. Um, and, and this is a very, very good shooting team. Um, you, you mentioned Donald that they're, um, uh, they're excellent at getting to the free throw line and hitting their free throws. They're also a really good three-point shooting team, um, and uh, and they and they take a pretty fair percentage of of threes. Um, so Duke's going to have to we're going to have to bring it defensively. Um, and I, I, you know, as I look at the schedule, you know, there are a few games left on Duke's schedule that we could potentially lose. This this is unquestionably one of them. Um, this is a team that's likely to be a, a pretty high seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, you know. And we're going to be playing at their place. You know they're going to be geeked up. Uh, it's going to be a very, very, very you know tough environment for Duke to win in. Um, there, I'm I'm not sure there's you know this may be the most athletic team that we play the rest of the year, at least in the ACC. So uh, we also will be playing uh, NC State and Sam. I know you've been looking ahead a little bit at the Wolfpack, a team that was really, really playing well earlier in the year and maybe has come off a little bit lately. 
Yeah, I believe that when we were previewing ACC season right at the beginning of 2019, I said that NC State was sort of my surprise team coming into the into the year and that um, wouldn't be surprised if they kept climbing and ended up, you know, if, as like an upset type team ending up hey, with I, one of those I, top I, four I said, spots in the ACC. Yeah. I, um, I said I thought they'd be top four. We we thought that was a good pick, and uh, well, uh, that's probably not happening at this point. They are five and six in conference. Um, they uh, they beat Pitt yesterday, but prior to that, uh, three game losing streak, all against good opponents. Obviously, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina, who who spanked them around the other day in Chapel Hill uh, last week. But um, and and of course, we we talked a little bit last week about their about their really atrocious game against Virginia Tech in Raleigh. Uh, just just an awful performance from state so the first half of ACC season here hasn't really gone according to plan for Kevin Keats's squad but um, you know that when they play Duke they are they get up for it they're one of those teams that that hangs their hat on on occasionally beating Duke and of course Duke fans will remember uh, two years ago the last time NC State was in Cameron the the Dennis Smith team beat the Blue Devils um, on on our home floor so I'm sure that the remaining players from from that team, the Delorier and Marquis Bolden, Jack White, those guys remember um, what that was like, and and hopefully are determined to not have that happen again. I'm not sure that that NC State really has the firepower to hang with Duke. They've only got um, three guys who who average scoring in double digits, and in general, um, they're not like the most proficient team at either end of the court. Um, they're currently ranked 39th in Ken Palm. So, so from where they were a couple weeks ago when they got up into the, I think they got up into the teens. Um, they've really fallen off a fair bit, and uh, and hopefully for Duke they keep sliding because uh, th- this is like sort of the one questionable team left in that in that stretch that we talked about last week that, that Duke is in right here at, at this part of the season. Um, UVA obviously being the beginning of that stretch, but then Louisville, NC State, and then looking ahead to the next week, of course, the 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 really big one is is North Carolina coming into Cameron. So hopefully uh, Duke doesn't have much trouble with State, although we know that um, in years past they've been very frustrating. And, and as I always point out, it's like anytime – if NC State has like an embarrassing performance against UNC, that just means that they're going to be extra motivated to play well against Duke. So uh, UVA is getting getting embattled and battered uh, UVA on a on a quick turnaround after the Duke game, but uh, Duke gets NC State right after right after they played UNC. Um, so you you tell me who's uh, who's got the worst uh, schedule luck here. <laughs> um, I, you know, the thing about NC State that I'll say, looking at their their stats and the such, is that they are um, a very, very good team at forcing turnovers. Um, but on the other hand, Duke is really good at not turning the ball over. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. And then the other thing, if I was NC State, I'd be very worried about this. They're one of the worst teams in the country at fouling. Like, they give up a ton of free throws. Um well, that's fact, not helpful to you us. Know, no. Well, it, it's helpful from the standpoint that Duke Duke does draw free throws at a at a pretty good rate, um, and uh, I, I think we're capable of hitting a few more than we've been hitting lately. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I think those are those are two of the things I'm going to be really watching for. Is State able to turn Duke over, and does Duke get to the free throw line um, a lot against them, and perhaps get them in a little bit of free throw trouble? Um, although they're a fairly deep team, um, you know, there there are a lot of guys. Uh, that NC State, you know, they get minutes for NC State. Unlike, you know, unlike Duke, we don't we we tend to be pretty shallow. Um, 
so uh, Donald, you got anything to add on NC State? No, I, we said this last week when they they played Virginia Tech and they scored 24 points in a 40 minute regulation basketball game. Uh, I fully expect <laughs> NC State to score uh, 120 points against us, uh, go 92% from three-point land, and really just uh, make our lives a living hell. Uh, but I think we're going to get the victory. So um, having, I, I expect all that, and I still expect us to do okay against them uh, on Saturday. So uh, here's the hoping that I am absolutely dead wrong about everything except for victory. I, I think you are dead wrong. I know we like to sort of joke about this and laugh about it, uh, this NC State team, Duke's going to be a 20-plus point favorite in this game. If it was at NC State, I'd believe you. I'd think, oh, we could be in some trouble. You know, they could have a little bit of home magic, so to speak. But it's in Cameron, and this NC State team is not good enough to give us much competition, which is good because we're going to need a little bit of break after uh, Virginia and then Louisville and, and then coming into the stretch of games right after that. All right, guys, before we get to Parting Shots Player of the Week, there is one more thing I want to talk with you gentlemen about. This week, the NCAA did something they have not done in the past. They revealed the if the tournament was today, they revealed who the top 16 teams, the, the, the one through four seeds would be in each one of the brackets. And I think it's really interesting that the NCAA decided to do this for the first time this year. They, I think they clearly understand that they, uh, you know, after watching – the, the college football rankings come out, and that's turned into a whole half-hour program on ESPN, the college football rankings, as we approach bowl season and we approach you know the, the college football playoff. And I, I think the NCAA recognizes that they've got um, a commodity here in, um, in the NCAA basketball tournament that they can, they can start marketing even earlier than usual by putting out these lists of the overall um, top four seeds. Uh, the, the big takeaway, this list was released, by the way, before the Duke-Virginia game, but they said that Duke was the overall number one seed. That's the, We are the team that they judged to be the best team in the land. Not a big surprise there to me. I mean, I know Tennessee is number one in the human polls, but all the computer models, all the, you know, all the advanced metrics say that Duke is significantly better than Virginia. Virginia is like the number four, number five, you know, or worse team in most of the computer models. So Duke was the overall number one seed. Virginia, again, prior to us beating them, was also a number one seed. North Carolina was a number two. Um, we had Louisville as a number four. The committee said that Virginia Tech was very close to being a number four. The ACC had, you know, had big, big representation on these lists. Uh, uh, Donald, I'll go to you first. Uh, you know, any other takeaways from any of this? Did you look at any of these brackets and say, hey, that's really unbalanced, that's unfair to Duke? Just so folks know, Duke was a number one. They gave us Michigan as our number two, Marquette as the number three, and Iowa State as the number four. How do you feel about our bracket? Uh, well, to start, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but this is the second year that they've done this. They actually did this last year. Um, I don't remember time. it at all last year. Yeah, they did it, last um, year? They did it for the no first memory. time. It, it, it was no memory because – I don't think we were a one seed in that uh, in that bracket. Um, we ended up uh, getting, you know, up to that point. But I, I think we we I think in this case, Michigan I think is a good pick for a number two. I think they're a solid number two. I don't know if they're the best number two seed, but I think they're a solid pick. Marquette is one of those teams that I've seen a lot of this year, and really, you know, as goes Marcus Howard, goes the Marquette Golden Eagles. So. 
uh, if he can go off, uh, and he has gone off on several occasions this year, they are a very, very tough out. And that would actually be a really tough number three matchup. But again, if if we're talking about, you know, uh, our, our region going chalk, they would have to play Michigan before they play us. So that would bode well for us as well. And Iowa State, I think, is a pretty de- decent team. I don't know if they're uh, if if I would consider them a number four um, based on what I've seen this year, uh, but I think in the end that would be a very uh, favorable matchup for us uh, in that Sweet Sixteen uh, re- uh, in the region. So I, I really like what we have so far. I, I think the other ones that I saw amongst the uh, brackets, Michigan State. You know, not a week ago, they were talking about Michigan State being a one seed, uh, a, a, a simple, easy one seed. And now they are a two seed and really looking shaky over the last few games. Louisville shooting up into the top four uh, seeds, I think, is something that A, bodes well for the conference, and B, says something about how Louisville has been playing recently. So I really like that. And Kansas has had a really rough go. They are now down to a three seed. Uh, in, in the West region, which I think they probably want to be in the Midwest because the Midwest region is in Kansas City, so which is 45 miles from their campus. So I, I feel like they are going to want to get back on track so they can at least get into the Midwest region where they would have a basically a basic home game uh, in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. But uh, they have really fallen off the last couple of weeks, and that is well, something and, and- that has been reflected. Kansas just lost LeGerald Vick, who's arguably their, maybe not their best player, but they're, you know, one of their top two or three players. LeGerald Vick just left the team for, uh, for undisclosed personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, no one knows how long that's going to be, or even know, knows what that's about. I'm not going to speculate who knows what it is, but and funny, um, they and were funny already. Thing, Jason, uh, oh, sorry about yeah. that. Go ahead. I was going to say they were already fairly thin. Um, uh, Kansas, I think, is in real trouble. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to hold on to that that number three seed line. Um, you know, unless they are able to turn things around. Yeah, yeah. things are and things speaking are of turnarounds kind of for the Jayhawks. Um, I'm not I'm not thrilled about us having to analyze the the you know bit of the bracket here before Selection Sunday. I always enjoy us being able to kind of unpack the whole thing at once. Uh, but it is kind of fun to see what the committee's thinking at this point and knowing that they've kind of switched up the way they do the metrics uh, and, and the way they look at the advanced stats. Uh, it's kind of fun to see a little bit more of a window into how we know they're going to be making decisions. I know that on the football side, they've gotten a lot of traction on the playoff from releasing the the standings every week and everybody, everybody pour over who's in and who's out. Uh, not and as much of a big deal. Do, really? Yeah. I think that's the key is um, now these teams that are not on this list, are saying, what do I need to do to get on this list? Just like those teams that are outside that top four in the college football playoff are saying, you know, what do we got to do this week to make sure that we are in the conversation um, as they as it moves forward? The difference, though, between being just on the outside of the top 16 in basketball and being just outside the top four in football is huge, right? Right. If you're a five seed, you're effectively a four seed. Like four and five seeds are, are more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have to you you still have to go through the other team and then go through likely a one seed in, in the first round uh, or someone who's beaten a one seed. So uh, those distinctions aren't aren't quite as stark. So eh, I don't know. Um, I could do hey, hey, that even though it's fun. The the 68th best team in the NCAA tournament, the absolute worst team in the NCAA tournament has a better chance to win the national title than the Georgia Bulldogs did last year. That's true. Exactly. And that, that's exactly right. Um, you know? um, and 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 that team, that 68th best team, isn't going to win the tournament. 
So, right. Um, <laughs> right, that's true. But hey, guys, so we're, I wanna... we're, we're the, the 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 line that we're drawing here is is much farther away from the top than it is in football. To wrap this up, I want to I want to mention one specific thing that the committee said about Duke and how that ties into what this rankings kind of shows. Uh, they the committee chairman, uh, I guess, is the Stanford athletic director, and he mentioned that uh, it was a tie. It was basically a conversation between. Tennessee and Duke for the one for the overall number one seed and the one seed in the East. And they said about Duke, they are heading to the East by the slightest of margins. There was a very close conversation between the number one and the number two seed, but the strength of schedule won out in Duke's case. And you only need to look at one team to really talk about the strength of schedule to this point. Remember that team we beat by 38 points in the first game of the season. They're a two seed on this bracket yep. uh, on this list. And that is really making that 38-point victory seem all the more more improbable and more impressive day by day that Kentucky starts to improve in the Southeast Conference. I'll say one other thing as we wrap this up. Um, the second best team in the Big Ten. Duke is going to have, as our number two seed, the second best team in the Big Ten. You know why? Because at least the way things are, you know, at the moment, things could change, but I don't think things are going to change a ton. They're not going to give us Kentucky as a number two because we already played them once. There's no way they're going to do that. They're not going to give us Gonzaga as a number two if, if perhaps Gonzaga drops down. Right now they're a number one. They're not going to give us Gonzaga as a number two because we already played them. They're not going to do that. They're not going to have us face them again. They're not going to give us North Carolina or Virginia as a number two. I'm not saying Virginia is on the two seed line, but one of those two teams will probably be on the two seed line. They're not going to give us a conference opponent as our number two. And they're not going to give us the best team in the big 10 because we're probably going to be the overall number one. So they're going to give us the second best team in the big 10. I'm telling you that our number two seed is almost certainly going to be either Michigan, Michigan state or Purdue. You mark my words on selection Sunday, when you see either Michigan, Michigan state or Purdue, sitting next to Duke as our number two seed, remember this conversation because I don't see any formula for anyone else. I guess what, I mean, if Marquette rises up to a two seed, but I don't think Marquette's going to get there. I mean, I just, I don't see, I don't see anyone else who's going to find their way onto that number two seed line. Maybe if Kansas turns it on and suddenly wins all the rest of their games. Um, but, but Houston, Nevada, you know, even if they win out, those teams aren't playing anybody. They're not going to move up. So I really think, the second best team in the Big Ten is the team that will be Duke's number two. Y'all got nothing on that? I mean, y'all y'all going to comment? That was some brilliant analysis. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought you wanted look, to fade into black. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't feel the need to fluff you. If it's good, it's good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it is time for our player of the week. We need to decide who played the best for the Duke Blue Devils this week. Donald Wine, I will go to you first. Who is your selection? Uh, my selection is going to be Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish, 9 for 19 from 3. His shooting was incredible. His defense was tremendous this week. And he really led us. And in a, in a week where I think several guys uh, could easily get this recognition, I'm going with Cam. Sam, who you got? You know, I'm I'm with Donald here. I'm gonna take Cam Reddish. I thought he had a uh, I thought he had probably his best week as a Blue Devil this week. Um, the shooting, the defense, all of it was sort of clicking for him. As I said in my uh, recap from Virginia, it felt like he 
was feeding off of one end of the court to power himself on the other end of the court. And it was just a, a snowballing effect for Cam. So great to see him uh, lead the team in scoring once here uh, earlier this week against Boston College. Great to see him make all those threes against Virginia. Uh, if he's if he's finally playing up to the level that we expected him to be at, ooh, look out. Uh, so I'll make it three for three. I agree with you guys. Cam Reddish, player of the week this week. He hit nine total three-pointers. I will I will confidently say that in weeks where Cam Reddish hits four or more three-pointers in every game, Duke will win every game. So Cam, tip of the hat, you get the three for three player of the week. We move on now to parting shots. Sam, I will go to you first. What you got for me? Not not another complaint about the grad student line, I hope. Nope, I have no complaints tonight. I have no complaints. I have two very quick parting shots. First is a thanks to uh, to the guys over at WXDU, Matt and Angelo, for letting me make a uh, sort of last-minute guest appearance on their show this afternoon. I didn't get a chance to, to really blast out a lot that I was going to be there, but I, I did get to come on and guest with Matt. So instead of doing any hard research for this episode, I just kind of dry ran with him, uh, which was fun. Uh, So I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, Might get an opportunity to do that once or twice more before the season's over. And then uh, my other very important parting shot today is, did you guys see the end of the Illinois state, Missouri state game from, I think this was earlier today. The, there were, if you didn't get to see it, um, the game was at Missouri state. Missouri State or Illinois State had the ball out of bounds under Missouri State's basket with about eight seconds to go. Uh, Illinois State inbounded the ball. There's about six seconds of kind of madness. The ball's like bouncing around around midcourt. The players are all running into each other. It changes possession a couple times. Finally, a Missouri State player gets a hold of the ball with just a couple seconds left and launches a desperation three at the buzzer. They were down two at the time. And Illinois State had the ball inbounding. So, there's, you know, it was like Illinois State had the game won. But Missouri State recovers the ball around midcourt, throws up a prayer at the buzzer, and and uh, and banks it in um, and wins the game. So it was extremely cool. Go check out this highlight. Um, the only thing that's really tough about it, and I wonder if, if any other players have noticed this, um, Missouri State has a very large, dark logo of, I guess it's a bear in the middle of their court. And it makes it very hard to see the the team on TV that's wearing dark jerseys because they kind of just blend right in with the court. Uh, but very cool, very cool win, very cool buzzer beater uh, there in the Missouri Valley Conference today. So you said, did you see the ending? And I was sure you were going to talk about the Harvard-Columbia game. Did you guys see that? Yeah, that was no, awesome. tell me about that. Oh, my God. Donald, I, I, I wasn't going to talk about it as my parting shot. I, I, I'm not really prepared. It went to three overtimes, and there were like – like three crazy buzzer beaters. Go watch the highlight. Donald, did you see that was unbelievable? Yeah, I saw I saw the highlights on uh, uh Scott Van Pelt like did a deep dissect into this game, uh, of, of course, in his in his uh incredible way. It was awesome to watch. But it was yeah, it was literally two guys were just going back and forth hitting last second buzzer beaters. There was one where uh I think it was at the end of regulation, uh Harvard hit a shot with like 1.6 seconds left and then Columbia immediately inbounded the ball, heaved the like last second shot and it went in to tie the game and send the overtime. It ended up going to three overtimes and even that went down to the last like, you know, four or five seconds of the game before it was no longer uh there was no buzzer beater at that point. But uh yeah, it was a really incredible game to watch at least via the highlights. 
Yeah, and, and one uh, one of the threes that Harvard hit, I think the three that Harvard hit to send it to the second overtime, I think it was, uh, the, the dude literally, he goes up for the shot and a Columbia guy's going to block it. And while he's in the air, he pulls down, you know, gets low and sort of fires it underneath the guy's arm. Mm -hmm. uh, you've never seen a shot like this. It's it a is double crazy. pump, double pump three-pointer. Yeah. yeah, it was it was outrageous, but it went in. So, yeah, that was that was a great one. But, uh, I, I, Donald, uh, I diverted you. What is your parting shot? Because I'm sure it wasn't the Harvard-Columbia triple overtime. It was not, although that was a very good game. Uh, my parting shot is, uh, I don't know if you guys, this is also sports-related. I don't know if you guys were watching this, but uh, the Alliance of American Football debuted this weekend. And I, I got to tell you guys, I watched a couple of the games, and they were actually pretty entertaining. Um, there are a lot of players um, that you are either former coaches that you may have heard of uh, or some of these players that were in the NFL for a while and then now are trying to get back to the NFL through – this new league, uh, but there is, it starts out with eight teams, but I mean, the, the head ball coach is leading the Orlando Apollos, um, the, the head ball coach. And also they, they had an aerial attack that was incredible. They, I think they put up 44 points in their first game. Um, you have guys like Mike Singletary, Rick Neuheisel, Dennis Erickson, Mike Martz um, as coaches. Trent Richardson is one of the players uh, uh, of the Birmingham iron. You got Christian Hattenberg, um, oh, I'm sorry, Hackenberg uh, and, and guys like that where uh, you probably are like, whatever happened to those guys? They were doing pretty decently in the NFL. They ended up in this league and and it's, you know, something that CBS uh, brass kind of put together. Um, but it was kind of an entertaining league. And for something, you know, we've had a lot of these kind of, NF, you know, NFL offshoot leagues um, or things trying to compete by playing spring football. Um uh, and I think this actually has a chance of doing something at least until the XFL comes in next year. And I, I, I'm not, I, I kind of just say that in jest, but uh, there's a team in DC here for the XFL and I will be at those games because it's at Audi field, uh, basically my home. <laughs> so, uh, but for this, I, I want to say like you guys, if it's on, if you have CBS sports network, um, I know they played a couple games on big CBS uh, this weekend. Uh, check them out because it's, if if you're just looking for some football to get you through the day, this is actually pretty entertaining football. Yeah, I didn't realize that we needed more professional football right uh, in in the U.S., but here we are, right? <laughs> and that's the thing; it's not something that you needed, but like if you were just, hey, I'm looking for some sports to watch today, and you know, basketball is kind of on a little bit later in the day, and you try to turn on TV, like, oh, football. What football is this? Oh, this is actually pretty entertaining, and and all of a sudden. You're three quarters in and, and and hoping for one of these teams to win. So, um, yeah, it was it was pretty. It was, it was one of those things where yes, it was not the hero we deserved or needed, but it's the hero we got. So, for my parting shots, gentlemen, uh, Trevon Duval, Trey, uh, who did not get drafted, um, and we talked about it extensively in the off season. Um, but Dukey Trevon Duval was signed to a two way contract by the Milwaukee Bucks. And this past week, he was called up to the to the big leagues, to the NBA, and he scored his first NBA basket, had his first NBA assist in his first game. And then in his second game, he actually hit a three-pointer. He is now one for one on three-pointers. As someone on the DBR forums pointed out, Trevon Duval is now tied for the highest three-point percentage in NBA history um, <laughs> at one for one. Um, so huge congrats to Trevon for, for making it up to the, to the show. Um, and Jim Sumner, who, I mean, like if there's a, 
uh, a, a smarter Duke fan out there than Jim Sumner. I don't know who it is. Jim Sumner pointed out, here's an incredible statistic. There are eight former Blue Devils who made their NBA debut this year. Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Grayson Allen, Harry Giles, Frank Jackson, Gary Trent, Emil Jefferson, and now Trevon Duvall. All eight of those guys made their NBA debuts this year. It is unreal how many Duke players end up in the NBA. There are 25, 25 different Dukies in the NBA right now at this second. There are plenty of really, really good college basketball programs that haven't had eight players make the NBA in their history. Duke had eight guys make their NBA debut this year, and we have 25 guys in the NBA right now. Um, and again, tip of the cap to Trevon Duval, who becomes number 25 for Duke this year and probably going to be three or four more joining them next year. Yo, that's actually, that's really cool. And you know what? He, he lucked out. I don't know if you guys, if you guys out there have been watching the NBA one, you should, because it's been absolutely amazing this year, but Trevon Duval actually made, uh, made it, made a decision to join a team that was up and coming and, and trying to compete. And now they are the top of the league. Uh, both leagues um, if with the record, the Milwaukee Bucks are a team to be reckoned with this year. Uh, and really uh, he has gotten to a pretty good situation uh, this year with being on the Bucks. but also guys, this kind of segues into one final parting shot that I have. I don't know if you guys saw this, the, the whole last week of NBA uh, trade deadline talk, but man, everyone was going everywhere and it was like, Oh, it's crazy. It was crazy. crazy. Um, I have no idea who's on any teams anymore. Well, congratulations, Sam, because you now have Jabari Parker in the Washington. Wizards. Oh yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> Poor Jabari. <laughs> you, you, first of all, the, the the Wizards didn't have what was it since Christian Leitner did not have a Duke player on their team, and then of course until of, Austin Rivers last year. No, no, that was this year, and he's since oh, that was traded. This that was this year. He got traded uh, before the season, and then. <laughs> Got he traded was there for again. About three weeks. <laughs> yeah, he lasted about a month and a half, and then got traded. And now you have Jabari Parker. So now you've had two players on your team this year. Which, uh, it some like like Jason said, some guys don't have two players ever uh, in the NBA. You had two on one team. So congrats to you. And they still stink. Yeah, <laughs> they still do. Uh, but they they are hoping to be a little bit better. But yeah, I, I the just the NBA deadline, the the trade deadline was amazing to watch in real time and it, unlike any other trade deadline in sports when you're talking about you know in a, the you know nhl or, or or baseball or football there's not really a trade deadline like the nba but this year was even more kind of insane even for the nba uh when it comes to stuff like that i mean i'm hooked on on major league baseball free agency right now because uh a lot of big names still left to sign right before spring training starts. And, and you know, you know, I love me some baseball. All, all yes. the big names. Oh, yes. all, I mean, they're, this, this offseason, none of the really, really big free agents have signed, right? Well, the Nats got Patrick Corbin. Big fan of him. Yeah, that was a great, that was a really good pickup. But the but two, the, Bryce the Harper's two big still prizes out there. are still out there. Manny Machado's still out there. Craig Kimbrell's still out there. So yeah, yeah. Those, those are the three best guys in free agency, and none of them have signed. Someone's going to get a bargain on one of those guys, I think. A relative bargain. Yeah. You heard it here, <laughs> folks. Uh, uh, breaking baseball analysis from, uh, from, your local, <laughs> from your local baseball experts. Uh, to Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and Craig Kimball, consider Detroit. That's all I'm going to say.
I want Craig. Kim- Craig Kimbrell's going to come back to the Braves. Come home, Craig. Come home. Uh, that's it. I, I, I think that's it. That? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we veered off into territory we don't normally touch, so uh, no, I, yeah. wasn't sure, I wasn't sure how to navigate from here. Hey, folks, so thanks for joining us here on the Major League Baseball Offseason Podcast. Yeah, um, hot stove. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, this was the Duke Basketball Report Podcast, episode number 147. I am your host, Jason Evans. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to our sponsors, Bird Campbell and GTHCGTH.com for Sam Klein, for Donald Wine. We will be with you again next week after the Louisville and NC State games. Until then, the Duke Band will just keep playing and playing.